Hello, welcome to the You Heard It Here podcast from XL Vets. My name is Fiona Farmer, a qualified vet and your host for this series of podcasts. XL Vets is a community of independently owned veterinary practices who work in partnership to achieve veterinary excellence. Today I'm bringing you a discussion with a fantastic farm vet to talk all about calf rearing and housing. Offering her valuable insights is Emily Linton from Torch Farm Vets. Emily has a wealth of experience with a certificate in cattle health and production and has a particular interest in young stock health. We're so lucky to have her with us today as we delve into all things calf. So let's begin. (laughs) Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting us on. I'm really looking forward to uh, talking calf health. It's one of my passions. So uh, yeah, quite excited. Okay, so let's talk calf health. Where do we begin? At what stage should our farmers start to think about their health? Should there be some consideration for the health status before they may get into any problems? I think it's really important to remember that that calf health actually starts before calving. Um, We've got to make sure that the dam has adequate nutrition, um, water provision. And I think it's also really important to think about where and when that calf is going to be born. Obviously, we want it landing in a nice, deep, straw-bedded, clean pen. Um, I know some people like to use sand from a hygiene perspective, which as long as it's well managed is fine. But you've just got to be really careful because there's quite a high risk of hypothermia to the calf in that situation. So just making sure that you're aware of that. Um, We actually have several farmers within our practice feeding their dry cows at night. The idea behind this, and it does seem to work quite well, is to maximise the chance of their cows calving during the day, which then, of course, means there are more people around, um, you know, and, and more have people have more time to do things properly. Wow. I didn't realise you could influence how or when a dam is going to calve based on when you fed her. Like I said, it's, we've got several farmers doing it and it's, you know, I mean... It, there are still ones that pop out in the middle of the night, obviously, but it does mean that major, the majority calve during the day, and, and that's really helpful. So you're recommending building regular young stock worm into farm visits. How would this look practically? Would you recommend using support staff for this? In our practice, we use our techs to get the, them out um, on farm and doing, doing some young stock work, gathering data, which we then um, look at back at the practice. And actually, a great way we found of engaging farmers in... Um, in their young stock is, is to do a bit of benchmarking it's nothing like a little bit of competition to um, <laughs> get people you know um, trying to get their calves to grow better or you know we find that's yeah a really positive way of doing things. Healthy competition is always useful. Okay so gold standard situation we've thought about and planned for optimal calf health throughout pregnancy and now they're born let's help them thrive. Obviously nutrition plays a major role here Let's talk a little bit about the all-important colostrum. Um, Okay, so we're all aware of the three cues of colostrum. So quality, um, we want to have 50 grams per litre of immunoglobulins. um, And we're not going to know if we've got that quality unless we measure our colostrum. So we advise our farmers to use a BRICS refractometer. um, And we're looking for um, colostrum that's over 22% on that. Um, We need to give it quickly. because the process of of uptake is time sensitive. So ideally within a couple of hours, but definitely within six hours um, from birth. And then quantity, we need to make sure we're giving enough. So um, the general rule is 10% of body weight, um, which equates to about three or four liters for for your average um, 
Holstein calf. So we also need to remember that the uptake of these immunoglobulins is an active process. So it requires oxygen and glucose. So obviously that can be um, affected if you've had a calf that's had a really difficult calving um, or if they are you know, subject to a stressful situation. And I think that's where you've got to be really careful with, with tube feeding done by someone who's skilled. It can work very well. And certainly we have farms who, who get on fine with it, um, but it can also be a, a bit of a stressful process. So it's just making sure that, that people are confident and comfortable doing that. Um, it's also a competitive process. So we need to be really careful. This, that's where the squeaky clean comes in with our hygiene. Otherwise, bacteria can be taken up in the process instead of immunoglobulins. Um, pasteurization can help with that. And interestingly, um, of the farms we, we monitor, the two that have some of the best total protein results are using a pasteurizer. Um, but it mustn't be used um, as a substitute for, for poor hygiene. Um, and the other thing I would mention, we had Owen Atkinson come to our practice and, and run a Young Stock Signals Day with us before Christmas. Um, and he reminded us that the, um, the egg protein in the pastes that you can get that are designed for calves can also be taken up instead of immunoglobulins if they're given to calves in that critical period. So colostrum is gold, steer, steer clear of anything else. Some really good advice there. Quality quickly and quantity. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Brick's refractometer to measure colostrum. You can also measure total protein from blood samples, can't you? How important is measuring and monitoring? The most important thing then is to monitor what you're doing. So total protein measurements from calves are a really good indicator of how what you're doing on your farm, whether that's letting your calves suck from a teat, tube feeding them, or allowing them to, to suck from a bottle um, and how much you're giving and when you're giving it and how clean you are, all those things can be assessed um, when looking at total protein values. So yeah, really important to, to monitor. Thank you for bringing these tips to light. It's great to know you can gain so much information from relatively easy methods. So moving on from colostrum, what considerations should be given to their milk intake going forward? I know that we should be thinking about feeding calves at this stage as more of an investment to the future rather than a cost. What are your thoughts on this? There's an awful lot of work to show that um, increased daily live weight gain in the first 50 days of life um, is directly linked to these heifers producing more milk in their first lactation. Um, so that's you know really important to, to remember. Um, I also think it's uh, worth mentioning automatic calf feeders um, because obviously they do mimic the natural feeding of a calf much better than us just feeding them, them twice a day. Um, I think in situations where they're well managed, they can work really well. Hygiene is a big consideration, um, as is group size, age range within a group, and you have to operate an all-in, all-out system, otherwise you just run into problems. So they don't work everywhere, but if you've got the right setup, they can work very well. So we need to close the gap on what calves should be getting and what they are getting. And the best way to do this is with the use of milk powders. What can we look for in a milk powder? What's good, what's not good, and how can we evaluate where we're going with our calves? It's actually quite difficult because there's an awful lot of information that they don't give you on a milk powder, um, on a milk powder label. The other thing is that there's just such a huge range of milk powders out there. And, and you know, how do you know 
what's better than another one or, or which one's going to be better for your system. So I just put together like a few pointers of things that you can look out for on labels, some things to avoid. Um, but it, it's always worth having a chat with your vet um, about, you know, if you've got a few options, which ones they think would be the best. So traditionally, um, we would advise protein levels of over 25% um, and fats and oils over 22%. Um, but in terms of protein type, the two main types are obviously skim milk powder um, and whey protein. Now, if you're comparing skim milk powder with whey protein concentrate, um, then there's not a huge amount of difference in terms of uh, daily live weight gain that you're, you're going to achieve. What you might see um, as the first ingredient on a lot of milk powders is whey powder. Now that's different. It contains a lot of lactose, a lot of sugar. And so it can cause um, nutritional scours. So what ideally what you're looking for is your first ingredient is either skim milk powder or whey protein concentrate. In terms of the quality of those products, we can't tell that from a label. Um, so you have to go with a, with a company that, that you trust. Um, I'd say the exception to that rule is the energized calf milks. Um, so they're a relatively new product, probably come out over the past couple of years. They are designed to um, have a constituency more like whole milk. So they've reduced their protein content a little bit down to about 22-ish percent um, and increased the fats in them to about 25%. Um, we've got farms using them, getting on very well with them. What it does do is make them more expensive. But I would say that milk powders are something in life um, that you pay for what you get. Um, fiber, we don't want to see any fiber in these products. Um, we don't really want to see plant protein in there either. Um, it's cheap protein um, that, that people put in there to, you know, to make up the protein percentage. If there is plant protein in it, we only want a very small amount. And ideally, we want it to be hydrolyzed. So hydrolyzed and, and low down the list. Um, and then the other um, thing I would mention is just ash content. So the ash content of whole milk is about 6%. Um, we'd probably be happy with ash contents of up to about 7.5% on a, on a milk powder. Any higher than that, it can increase the gut transit time um, and again, cause a, cause a nutritional scour. There's a really good tool on the um, University of Nottingham uh, website in their, in their um, dairy herd toolkit that allows you to compare milk powders and the energy they provide and the daily live weight gains that you're likely to get. Um, and I find that really useful when I'm comparing milk powders. Um, and there's also a, a whole host of, of resources on there of, of, of work that's been done. So that, that's a really good place to go and have a look. So we're aiming for three litres of milk twice a day for calves. Is there a concern at all regarding scour? With a good quality milk powder, you should be able to feed that to your calf from a few days old and they should be able to drink it and, and, and not scour. So, you know, again, if, if they're struggling um, or if you're getting the nutritional scour, then, yeah, go and check your, your um, milk powder quality. The other thing, the other point I'd like to make, which we, we haven't touched on yet, um, you know, Regardless of, of what you're feeding your calves, whether it be milk powder or, or whole milk or how you're doing it through buckets, teats or an automatic feeder, consistency is key. Calves love consistency and that is nowhere more important than when you're preparing and feeding milk powders. Um, so, yeah, just, just thought I'd pop that point in there. 
Consistency is key. Thank you for that, Emily. That's been a fascinating tour of the milk phase for calves. At what stage do you think hard food should be introduced? And are there any particular ways you advise doing this? So it's really important, as well as providing adequate nutrition through proper milk feeding, as you've just said, that we also help the rumen to develop. Um, because after all, these animals are, are ruminants um, and you know we, we want to get that huge organ uh, up and running um, efficiently. So we do that by providing fresh water um, and starter concentrates from day one. Now, we're not expecting calves to um, eat a lot of that concentrate from day one, but they can certainly be having a play with it in their mouth and, and getting used to the, the idea of it. Um, and we, we had um, a talk from Alex back the other week and his top tip was to provide the concentrate in a shallow bowl, like a dog bowl, um, rather than you know, a deep dark bucket or a feeder that, that multiple calves are going to, um, because that can really encourage them to go and explore it and start taking it on board earlier and regardless of when a calf starts eating concentrate it takes two to three weeks um, for the bacterial population in the rumen to grow to a number that can efficiently digest the concentrate so any delay in offering that starter concentrate to the calf is, is going to delay that that rumen development. I'd never really thought about a shallow bowl before but when you say it it makes perfect sense. And of course, all that, you know, the, the reason we're doing all of that is, is to help these calves wean properly, um, because we don't want to have put all this hard work in during that milk feeding phase, only for it to all be undone by a poor weaning process. I certainly encourage farmers to um, do a bit of a stepped weaning process, so perhaps doing it in two stages. So, um, you know, if you're on six litres a day, perhaps drop down um, two to three weeks before um stopping the milk feed completely to four litres, so two litres twice a day, and then in the last week before weaning, just to, to once a day feeding. Um, and that just gives these calves that chance to, to really um, ad adapt to the changes nice and gradually, rather than um, you know, them, them having a bit of a shock to the, to the system. And that step weaning process is actually even um, more important if you're feeding any of these energized calf milks because they have such a, a high fat content that can prevent um, intake of quite so much starter. So again, just, just extending that process, giving them time to adapt and increase their starter intake is, is really important. I feel like we could probably talk about nutrition all day, but now let's steer the conversation a little bit towards housing. Each farm, presumably, has its own challenges when it comes to housing. I'm not sure every farm has ideal ventilation or the perfect amount of space available. So how can our listeners be focusing on what they have got and what are their key priorities? OK, so I'd say that five principles um, for good calf housing that you can apply to any calf housing across the board would be that it needs to be clean. Hygiene is, is so important, number one. Um, Secondly, it needs to be dry. Wet and damp environments are colder and they're dirtier. Um, it needs to be warm. Calves, when they're born, would love to be at around about 22 degrees C. And I don't know many calf sheds that are as warm as that. Um, 
we know that average temperatures in the UK don't get to sort of between 12 and 15 degrees until probably mid-June. And yet below that temperature, calves are, are having to use energy to keep warm. Um, so that's really important to bear in mind, as is the fact that concrete and metal are just heat sinks. So ideally, you wouldn't have your calves directly in contact with, with either concrete or metal. We need fresh air in there. We need to get rid of these pathogens and, and, and get some fresh air into a system. If you've got a smelly calf shed, you, you've got a problem. Um, having said that, what we don't want is drafts because if we chilling calves, we can do an awful lot of damage very quickly. Um, there's actually a really, really good AHDB webinar with Jamie Robertson um, on calf housing that goes into all those areas in a lot more detail. And I would definitely recommend having, having a listen to that. Um, the other thing I like to say to farmers and actually do myself is get down where the calves are. Go and kneel in the calf bed. Can you kneel in the calf bed for 30 seconds and get up and still have dry knees? If you can't, you need to do something about it. You know, how does it feel when you're sat down next to the calf? Are you feeling a draft? Is it, you know, have you got a really nasty smell of ammonia? You know, you, you can get a really good um, sense of, of, you know, what sort of that, that calf is, is feeling um, by yeah, just going to sit next to one and have a little cuddle. <laughs> Very useful, practical tips. Thank you. It's good to stop and think about things from a different perspective every so often. So I would like to move on to housing calves. What are your thoughts on hutches versus group housing? I'd say historically, farmers have probably been advised to keep calves in, in individual hutches from a disease con control perspective. Um, but certainly these days, um, there's more milk buyers requiring paired or, or group housing of calves. And Fortunately, because I think it's just the right thing to do, there's an awful lot of evidence coming out to, to show the benefits of, of group or pair housing. Um, so specifically around uh, increased feed intake during the, the milk feeding phase, you know, calves are really inquisitive creatures. And if their mate's doing something, they'll go and do it as well. Um, and there's also a sort of a competitive element to it too. So I think that's where, you know, the, the drive for the increased feed intake comes from. Um, they've also shown there's less distress around weaning um, in calves that, that are paired housed, which from a welfare point of view is, is really important. Um, and for, you know, stopping that, that growth check or helping to prevent that growth check around weaning. Um, and it's also been shown to have a positive effect on, on feed intake post weaning um, when, when calves are, are paired um, or group housed. And again, you know, they can just cope with that social stress better because they've, they've got a, a friend to do it with or, or they're used to being in a group. Um, so, yeah, all, all really important for improving calf health and, and welfare. So I'm um, certainly encouraging more and more people to, to think about that option, you know, if they're not doing it already. I guess farmers have to look at their own farms and just see what will work best. If it's easy to do, um, it will get done. So thinking what's practical on your farm and what will work on your farm and what will get done on your farm is really important. Exactly. I think what we've really discovered through this conversation today is that calves are an investment, an investment to the future of the farm, and that a few small adjustments to improve those early weeks really will be worth it down the line.
Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, there's also um, been some work to show that the increased number of um, incidences of, of respiratory disease or pneumonia a calf has, not only will they grow less, as you'd expect, but they will also spend less time being productive in your herd. Um, so, yeah, it's another really important thing to remember. Prevention is, is always better than cure, because even if you get that cure, you still got those longer term negative effects really sound advice. So we've had a look at nutrition, we've had a look at housing and covered some really good points. Is there anything else you think we should be bearing in mind? Talking um, about calf health, learning from others, monitoring what you're doing so that you know what what works and what doesn't um, are all really important factors. Emily, thank you so much for this chat. Your knowledge and expertise shines through. I've personally learned a lot and I hope that all of these brilliant tips and nuggets of information you've given us today are going to be useful to our farmers. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and keep an ear out for the next in our series of You Heard It Here.